Remember when Peter Pan is missing his shadow? It's run away and he needs it and eventually he tracks it down and reattaches it to himself. It's a good example of the idea that each of us needs our shadow and we aren't quite whole without it, even though by definition we don't know it's there. This most modern idea of the shadow as being an important part of our personality comes to us most emphatically from the work of Carl Jung. The shadow being a term to describe the unconscious self, the part of ourselves we are unaware of, yet its interests, its depths, and its powers will, according to Jung, always be entering our lives, whether we like it or not. The unknown can always be scary, but Jung didn't mean it to be that way. It's not the negative part of who we are, or as simple as Sirius Black puts it in Harry Potter, that we both got light and dark inside of us, and what matters is the part we choose to act on. We can never stop the shadow, but through continuing to increase our own attentive consciousness, we can become more and more aware of it. According to Jung, it is a lifelong and perhaps even longer process. He shares, the young person of marriageable age does, of course, possess an ego consciousness, but since he has only recently emerged from the mists of original consciousness, he is certain to have wide areas which still lie in the shadow, and which preclude to that extent the formation of psychological relationship. This means, in practice, that the young man or woman can have only an incomplete understanding of himself and others, and is therefore imperfectly informed as to his and their motives. As a rule, the motives he acts from are largely unconscious. Subjectively, of course, he thinks himself very conscious and knowing for we constantly overestimate the existing content of consciousness. And it is a great and surprising discovery when we find that what we had supposed to be the final peak is nothing but the first step in a very long climb. It's kind of like a little trick life plays on us. There is always a greater influence than the one we are aware of, and always a hidden motive besides the conscious one. It's not that we should never trust ourselves, but listening, staying open, and watching for the ways the unconscious plays into our life experiences, relationships, and decision-making can lead to a more integrated life. Jung would claim the success of his work and the quality of his art was all the result of integrating the energies of the unconscious through as transparent as possible a consciousness. Jung got and saw that much of the purpose of therapy was that people were resisting being aware of their unconscious. He says, I have frequently seen people become neurotic when they content themselves with inadequate or wrong answers to the questions of life. They seek position, marriage, reputation, outward success or money, and remain unhappy and neurotic even when they have attained what they are seeking. Such people are usually confined within too narrow a spiritual horizon. Their life has not sufficient content, sufficient meaning. If they are enabled to develop into more spacious personalities, the neuroses generally disappears. For that reason, the idea of development was always of the highest importance to me. Yes, for Jung, not only does the increase of consciousness lead to spirituality, but also to a more harmonious relationship with the unconscious. The unconscious is spiritual in the sense that it can contain knowledge and energies that come from a higher plane than just our own human experience. This could be the collective content of the experience of humankind, or it could be greater figures of being that live at another level of existence, yet influence our earthly plane. Or, of course, it could all be another great achievement of this thing called imagination. The unconscious, of course, as well, contains the content we experienced that we weren't able to process at the time. Just a couple weeks ago, I was about to give a talk in front of a large crowd, and my stomach was getting quite wheezy. This isn't uncommon before I speak, but this time I thought a little bit more about it. What is this about? I asked myself. 
Immediately I recalled several instances of being in kindergarten and public humiliations I felt around needing to use the restroom. One in particular involved not being able to button my pants and having to walk down the seamlessly endless trail of desks and children who all got the view of the terrified and embarrassed child who couldn't perform this simple task. The stomach trouble was an unconscious fear placed right there in my stomach, the fear of humiliating myself in some way. During and directly after the talk, everything in my stomach felt just fine. My bet is that I get another stomach ache, but what will be helpful is to have a better idea as to why. Jung states, It may even be assumed that just as the unconscious affects us, so the increase in our consciousness affects the unconscious. By bringing the shadow into the light, it is no longer there. It is integrated in our consciousness. Now for Jung, the conscious is always a tip of a very big iceberg, but it is still quite valiant to retrieve the wisdom of the unconscious. For, I believe Jung believed, that beyond the layers of neurosis, anima and animus, repressed desires and so on, was an aspect of our being rooted in a deep sacredness. Sure, your shadow can contain your cynical side, your kinky side, your needy side, but it can also contain your power and the best possible parts of your character. In daylight, everything is clear and tangible, Jung says, but the night lasts as long as the day, and we live in the nighttime also. Let us remember that the darkness can also be a source of great light when we approach it with good intentions. One of the most profound things I read of Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was also someone incredibly aware of the unconscious, is when he said, We have a great deal more kindness than is ever spoken. This is both an inspiring and tragic quote to me. He explains, How many persons we meet in houses whom we scarcely speak to, whom yet we honor, and who honor us. How many we see in the street or sit with in church whom, though silently, we warmly rejoice to be with. Read the language of these wandering eye-beams, the heart knoweth. The shadow can contain our ability to live intimately and honestly with our life. Although trust in ourselves with a part of ourselves in action we seem to have no control over can certainly be a difficult process, we can still do our best to be honest. To do our best to watch what content our unconscious presents to us so that we can better integrate it into our consciousness, and if desired, into our daily life. Bring your love out of the shadows and into the light of your becoming. Bring your wisdom out of the shadows and into the light of your becoming. Bring your power out of the shadows and into the light of your becoming. Years ago, I had had an interesting experience visiting a friend who had just been diagnosed with a terminal illness. He asked for a private meeting with me, and when we met, he wanted to make a confession. My first instinct was to tell him I'm not that kind of clergyman, but I then realized I am who he had chosen to share whatever was on his mind and to share what was clearly troubling him. His confession was that he had had gay relationships in his life. One of those relationships had lasted for about a year and was particularly meaningful to him. I waited to hear the part where he had been married and betrayed his vows, or how he had hurt others through his secretive gay relationships. But no, he had never been married and didn't cheat on anyone. What I wanted to say was great, and tell me more about these relationships. But I could see he was still feeling conflicted. He had grown up being taught that that lifestyle was a sin, and he felt he should share it with me in case that was true. Although I understood where he was coming from and why, this also saddened me deeply. Here was this wonderful man who his whole life had kept so much love repressed within himself. It wasn't just about sexuality, it was about living fully as who he was. Because of those taboos and his own self-confliction, he at times repressed the best parts of himself. 
It's not that being gay or bisexual was part of his shadow, as certainly he was aware, even though he didn't share it with many. The point is that there were more than likely shadow energies, many of which I'm guessing involved deep levels of joy and meaning that he never got to play out in his relationships. We don't have to come out of the shadows, but what we must do if we are committed to a life of continued growth and deepening is listen and watch for those shadow aspects of ourselves and how they speak to us in our lives. We don't have to capture the shadow like Peter Pan, but we can continue to learn about it in a way that benefits our consciousness and in turn benefits that shadow as well. Jung states, The greatest limitation for man is the self. It is manifested in the experience, I am only that. Only consciousness of our narrow confinement in the self forms the link to the limitless of the unconscious. In such awareness, we experience ourselves concurrently as limited and eternal, as both the one and the other. And knowing ourselves to be unique in our personal combination, that is, ultimately limited, we possess the capacity for becoming conscious of the infinite, but only then. Let us embrace our limitations and keep our eyes out for gleams of the infinite, seeking to find a place in the receptive containers of our life and mind.